Chapter Six of the Seaboard Parish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Natalie Paula. The Seaboard Parish by George MacDonald, Volume One, Chapter Six: The New Baby. I will not attempt to describe the astonishment of the members of our household, each in succession, as the news of the child spread. Charlie was heard shouting across the stable-yard to his brother, "'Harry! Harry! Mama has got a new baby! Isn't it jolly?' "'Where did she get it?' cried Harry in return. "'In the parsley bed, I suppose,' answered Charlie, and was nearer right than usual, for the information on which his conclusion was founded had no doubt been imparted as belonging to the history of the human race but my reader can easily imagine the utter bewilderment of those of the family whose knowledge of human affairs would not allow of their curiosity being so easily satisfied as that of the boys in them was exemplified that confusion of intellectual being which is produced by the witness of incontestable truth to a thing incredible in which case the probability always is that the incredibility results from something in the mind of the hearer falsely associated with and disturbing the true perception of the thing to which witness is born. Nor was the astonishment confined to the family, for it spread over the parish that Mrs. Walton had got another baby. And so, indeed, she had. And seldom has baby met with a more hearty welcome than this baby met from every one of our family. They hugged it first, and then asked questions. And that, I say, is the right way of receiving every good gift of God. Ask what questions you will, but when you see that the gift is a good one, make sure that you take it. There is plenty of time for you to ask questions afterwards. Then, the better you love the gift, the more ready you will be able to ask, and the more fearless in asking. The truth, however, soon became known, and then, strange to relate, we began to receive visits of condolence. Oh, that poor baby! How it was frowned upon! and how it had heads shaken over it, just because it was not Ethelwyn's baby. It could not help that, poor darling. Of course, you'll give information to the police, said, I am sorry to say, one of my brethren in the neighborhood, who had the misfortune to be a magistrate as well. Why, I asked, why? That they may discover the parents, to be sure. Wouldn't it be as hard a matter to prove the parentage as it would be easy to suspect it? I asked. And just think what it would be to give the baby to a woman who did not want her, but who was not her mother. But if her own mother came to claim her now, I don't say I would refuse her, but I should think twice about giving her up after she had once abandoned her for a whole night in the open air. In fact, I don't want the parents. But you don't want the child? How do you know that? I returned, rather rudely, I'm afraid, for I'm easily annoyed at anything that seems to me heartless, about children especially. Oh! of course if you want to have an orphan asylum of your own no one has a right to interfere but you ought to consider other people that is just what i thought i was doing i answered but he went on without heeding my reply we shall all be having babies left at our doors and some of us are not so fond of them as you are remember you are your brother's keeper and my sister's too i answered and if the question lies between keeping a big, burly brother like you and a teeny-wee sister like that, I'd venture to choose for myself. She ought to go to the workhouse, said the magistrate, a friendly, good-natured man, enough in ordinary, and raising, he took his hat and departed. This man had no children, so he was, or was not, so much to blame, which I say the latter. 
Some of Ethelwyn's friends were no less positive about her duty in the affair. I happened to go into the drawing-room during the visit of one of them, Mrs. Bowdler. "'But, my dear Mrs. Walton,' she was saying, "'you'll be having all the tramps in England leaving their babies at your door.' "'The better for the babies,' interposed I, laughing. "'But you don't think of your wife, Mr. Walton.' "'Don't I? Thought I did,' I returned dryly. "'Depend upon it. You'll repent it.' "'I hope I shall never repent of anything but what is bad.' "'Ah, but, really, it's not a thing to be made game of.' "'Certainly not. The baby shall be treated with all due respect in this house. "'What a provoking man you are. You know what I mean well enough.' "'As well as I choose to know, certainly,' I answered. "'This lady was one of my oldest parishioners, "'and took liberties for which she had no other justification, "'except, indeed, an unhesitating belief in the superior rectitude "'of whatever came into her own head can be counted as one. "'When she was gone, my wife turned to me with half-comic, half-anxious look, and said, but it would be rather alarming, Harry, if it were to get abroad, and we couldn't go out the door in the morning without being in danger of stepping on a baby on the doorstep. You might well have said, when you were going to be married, if God send me twenty children, whatever should I do? He who sent us this one can surely prevent any more from coming than he wants to come. All that we have to think of is to do right, not the consequences of doing right. But leaving all that aside, you must not suppose that wandering mothers have not even the attachment of animals to their offspring. They are not so many that are willing to part with babies as all would come to. If you believe that God sent this one, that's enough for the present. If he should send another, we should know by that that we had to take it in. My wife said the baby was a beauty. I could see that she was a plump, well-to-do baby, and being by nature no particular lover of babies as babies, that is, feeling none of the inclination of mothers and nurses and elder sisters to eat them, or rather, perhaps, loving more for what I believed than what I saw, that was all I could pretend to discover. But even the aforementioned elderly parishioner was compelled to allow, before three months were over, that little Theodora, for we turned the name of my youngest daughter upside down for her, was a proper child. To none, however, did she seem to bring so much delight as to our dear Constance. Oftener than not, when I went into her room, I found the sleepy, useless little thing lying beside her on the bed, and her staring at it with such loving eyes. How it began, I do not know, but it came at last to be called Connie's Dora, or Miss Connie's baby, all over the house, and nothing pleased Connie better. Not till she saw this did her old nurse take quite kindly to the infant, for she regarded her as an interloper, who had no right to the tenderness which was lavished upon her. But she had no sooner given in than the baby began to grow dear to her as well as to the rest. In fact, the house was ere long full of nurses. The staff included everyone but myself, who occasionally, at the entreaty of someone or other of the younger ones, took her in my arms. But before she was three months old, anxious thoughts began to intrude all centering around the question in what manner the child was to be brought up. Certainly there was time enough to think of this, as Ethelwyn constantly reminded me, but what made me anxious was that I could not discover the principle that ought to guide me. No one can tell how soon a principle in such case will begin, even unconsciously, to operate, and the danger was that the moment when it ought to begin to operate would be long past before the principle was discovered, except I did what I could now to find out. I had again and again to remind myself that there was no cause for anxiety, for I might certainly claim the enlightenment which all who want to do right are sure to receive, but still I continued uneasy just from feeling a vacancy where a principle ought to have been. 
End of Volume 1, Chapter 6